Can't sell it anywhere else, man. It's right here in West Virginia. This is the Community Podcast with Zach Beard and Aaron Marco, two Morgantown real estate agents highlighting the good people of our city and state. We're taking you behind the sign, connecting interesting people, places, and faces. Why they do what they do and how they came to be doing it. We're building a better community. We're on the fly, Aaron. As per usual. All the time. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, busy days turn into, I guess, unplanned events. Yeah, that's right. You just got to stay busy, man. That's what you got to do. That's right. Well, I like working on the fly, though. I, I do, too. You know, my calendar is, is always booked up. The majority of the time, it's in my head. Some people, it's on their phone. But uh, yeah, Whatever like you got to do to stay, stay in, man. Stay in the game because life is fast. It is. And things get thrown at you, and you don't know what's coming. Exactly right. I'd say that uh, from knowing you over the few years that I've known you, you're a man of a few possessions. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah, I, I'm not a, a collector. You know, so I'm a guitar player. I've got one guitar. You know, um, that, that's how I am. I'm not a collector. Yeah, so from that guitar, you, you, get, you get experiences, though. And it's those experiences, you know, possessions can come and go. They're seemingly ephemeral. Whereas that experience, that's going to last you a lifetime. Absolutely true, man. That's, true words are never spoken, that's really. That's what I think. Yeah. So our guest today, he's, he's, uh, he's one of those, those people that you meet in your life. And uh, he's an experience, or he will at least create an experience that'll last a lifetime. I met him uh, after Hurricane Katrina down in uh, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. That's about an hour away from uh, New Orleans on the map. And uh, What were you doing down there, Zach? I was doing uh, relief work. I guess that we were helping rebuild a town there, Bay oh. St. Louis. You know, they had had some pretty high uh, flood waters, 30 feet, I think, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, so you kind of go to somewhere new. I'd never been to Mississippi before. And, uh, you, you know, you, you look around, you're trying to get your bearings, trying to – you know, figure out where, where you're going to belong in there. And um, I remember meeting our guest. He was uh, standing by, a, I think it was a maroon Toyota Tacoma. It might have been like a 2002, 2004, something like that. You know, the coolest dude around. You know, you can, you can spot him. He looked like an old, old surfer. And uh, we've talked about that fine line between cocky and confident many times. Many times. You could say he personified that. From a, a visual perspective, you know, he was, that's who he was. But when you got to know him at his heart, uh, he was the guy who would actually give you his last dollar in order to help you feel better. And the place that we were at in Mississippi was called Lanyap. And that word means uh, a little something extra. Huh. And uh, there's, a, there's a video that they had made to kind of send out to everybody. And uh, it was people from the community talking about the word Lanyap. And uh, there was this one guy, he always stood out in my mind. He's like, lamb yap. And I can still see his face and hear him say it, lamb yap. And uh, so, th you know, we can say that that, that lamb yap uh, for, for me and meeting our guests today is that something next that he brings. You know, he goes to a community um, when essentially they've been seemingly torn down, you know, after Katrina, after other events. And then, you know, just finding people in need. And he becomes part of that community. So our special guest today, uh, Kurt Moore. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Hey, Kurt. How you doing, man? Good. It's really great, great to meet you, man. Very Thanks. nice to meet you. It's great to be back in West Virginia. Yeah, all right. So and with been... my uh, brother, Zach. Yeah, yeah, right on. So so tell us a little bit about where we're at. I'm not, I've obviously, you know, 
from West Virginia. Right. I've never been here before. It's a day spring. So I am from Orlando, Florida, and I just drove up the other day. There's this camp. It's a, it's a group of folks that have been around for since 1993, assisting people in the community in the Fairmont area and kind of surrounding area. And they've established this base camp where people from around the country come and stay a week. They have lodging and food, and then they have work during the day. They go into the community and help folks that may not have the financial ability. Um, they'll put new roofs on, build wheelchair ramps, clean yards. And the main thing is just creating community um, where there is none. For people that are lonely and they feel that they've been forgotten, uh, these are folks that come alongside. So they build more than a wheelchair ramp. They build relationships. Yeah, right. Um, let people know uh, that someone does care. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things I, I took away from the experience down in Mississippi was, uh, you know, the work was kind of secondary. It was the relationships that you built with those people that seeming, you know, was long lasting. You actually became part of those those people's lives in the town they're from, even though I'd, I'd never been there before in my life. No, and you were, you know, you really downplayed what you were doing. You were there for, you were a resident there for an entire summer, maybe a little bit longer. A little longer, yeah, just a little bit longer, yeah. And then I think you came came back a few times, and then you got that cool moped that I wanted. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I ended up selling that thing, too. <laughs> I got it for a, what was it, a case of beer and 10 bucks, I think, to Jordan. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so these people from across the country were sending, like, tractor-trailer loads full of items they thought other people would need. And this was like, I thought it was a mint Peugeot. It was the kind that I wanted when I was a kid in the 70s, but my parents wouldn't let me have. And it came out of the back of this uh, semi, along with, you know, other things. But yeah. I don't know what made people, someone think, oh, I think they'd love to have this Peugeot after Hurricane Katrina had come. Interesting. Because uh, it was barely running. Yeah. I remember I took it apart and cleaned it out. And then I think I even sawed off the exhaust and put a straight pipe on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we had a good time. Oh, we did. It absolutely did. Yep. So, yeah, I even, I even learned how to weld down there. I was, had never had any welding experience in my life. And what was his name? Clyde Baker. That's right. I think he handed me a welder and a 19-foot piece of scaffolding with no safety harness for those first few days because it hadn't arrived. And I was put weld, weld, or welding I-beams on that, essentially like an I, uh, 84 lumber-style roof. Terrifying. Yeah, I think back then... Um we would have, I think we violated quite a few OSHA standards. <laughs> yeah. Those don't apply during a hurricane time, right? Yeah, and it was um, the community, that was where the eye of Katrina came over. And like you said, it was like a 30-foot tidal surge driven by 150-plus knot winds. And it destroyed probably 80, from what I understand, 80% of the commercial and residential structures wow. in the community. And so um, when we moved in... Um, we, we saw the need. I mean, you, you couldn't look past it. It was, it, was yeah. just, it was just destruction. And so, you know, normally if somebody needs a wheelchair ramp, you build a wheelchair ramp. If they need a whole house, then we build a whole house. And so the work that we participated in, I think we built about 50 brand new houses and repaired about 400. Because if the water went up to the, to the roof, um, covered the roof, receded, then everything inside had to be stripped out. And so... We had all these groups from around the country um, coming in and assisting us in that. And I think we had about almost 20,000 people over the five-year period that we were doing that work. That's amazing. So this place here where we're at, Impact, that has people from all over the country coming to it? We do. And let's see, last week they had about 200 folks from, uh, 
five or six different churches, uh, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Florida. can't remember the other states. So how are they learning about this place? Well, my, my role now, I work for the Presbyterian Church in America for the denomination, and I, I now oversee their short-term missions department. So churches, uh, actually any, anyone that wants to participate, they can call me, but it's usually our churches in the denomination. And um, they're looking for a place to serve, and we have about 25 different locations around the country. And um, Locations and similar to this? Similar to this. Yeah. And, um, and they'll just do work. Um, and we'll ho- they'll host uh, host these these groups, and they just kind of show up here on their own dime. They just show up and with willing hands. Is that how that works? Or? That's right. They um, they charge a small fee because they you know it's it's housing and, and food and material costs to mm-hmm. go into the community. So it's a small fee that just covers their cost for uh, basically for the materials and the food. Well, you know, as I listen to this and, and I think about all the labor that was put forth in the, in the stuff that you were talking about in Mississippi and so forth, there's one thing to provide the labor. It's clearly another to provide the materials. Where were a lot of the materials um, gathered from for, for specifically the Katrina event? And then maybe even more specifically here, how are the right. materials acquired, especially maybe in a time when there's a shortage on materials? Right. No, that's a, that's a great question. So we, um, we were maybe... 45 minutes away from Slidell, Louisiana, which is not very far from New Orleans. And there was a Home Depot. Um, Slidell was affected, but not as badly as New Orleans, and it wasn't as bad as, as where we were. And we established a great relationship with a guy named Mike, who was in the commercial section of, um, of Home Depot. Um, and so he gave us a discount. He was our friend. Um, it was more than just materials, but um, we had donations. So we started with nothing. And then I think each year as we continued, the donations increased to where we were at three, a $3 million a year budget um, for materials. And, you know, it, takes, it costs a lot of money to house and feed all these volunteers and then to buy the materials. But we also had a connection with the Rotary. And so uh, Rotary from a, across the country um, donated funds. And I think we had a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of drywall that we had stored in our tool crib. And the great thing about relief work and work like this is that you can't do it alone. Um, I love that you guys identify the need for community and how you really talk about and promote your community. Um, We needed one another, and so there were other agencies that were doing the same thing, and so we were just sharing resources. So where we had all that drywall, we shared with um, Habitat for Humanity, we shared with the Methodist Church, the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, and they had things they shared with us. I think it was the Lutherans who gave us thousands of dollars worth of toilet paper. And that's pretty important. It might be more important than drywall sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what really blows me away about this is that when you see people in this context, so many times in a, in a regular day-to-day life, we all have a kind of a, a front we put up to some degree. But when you're experiencing disaster... And when you're there donating your services, it's really a stripped down form. So I think the relationships you build are much truer relationships. And um, can you relate any particular experiences with any particular people that were impacted by the work you did there? Were you able to build some relationships with people that were there in the community? Oh, we were. um, I'll tell you, one of the most dramatic relationships uh, that we established was with a, uh, a family. It was... The grandparents were raising their two granddaughters, 
and this was a recent event because the mother of the two girls robbed a bank and told before she went to rob the bank, she told her daughter, said, we're going to go to Disney, um, pack your bags. Well, she never came home but she, because she got arrested. And uh, the father was estranged, um, and the grandparents were raising them. They needed some assistance. They had uh, damage to their roof or something like that. And so we had all these teams come and help them. And I remember there was a group from DeLand, Florida, because some friends were a part of that team. And they came in and really got to know those, uh, those folks really, really well. I actually have a relationship, a friendship with a, uh, it's an old girlfriend. She, um, her best friend is the author, Kate D. Camillo, who is like one of the best-selling authors of children's books. Um, went because of Win Dixie, you know, it was made into a movie, The Tale of Despero. Well, then she had written this book, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, and it's about a rabbit that gets lost, but in its lostness, it becomes whole. And so I had contacted Kate, and she sent 125 autographed, you know, hardback books um, to distribute in the community, and we gave one to that little girl. And... Um, you know, I thought that that was a spectacular book for folks, especially children, trying to deal with the trauma. Um, how do you put that together? How do you, what, what do you do with, with all of this? And here you've got this, this porcelain rabbit. It's just a doll rabbit. And it's adventure of a cycle of relationships and brokenness to the end where there's wholeness. And the theme is someone will come for you. Someone will come for you. And so for that book meant something to this little girl. And when she had a book report due um, at her school, she featured Edward Tulane. And, um, right. you know, I feel like of all the things, like, uh, we could have done, we gave her hope through a relationship, physically, you know, which actually, we, we, you know, we've said before, people have needs, but their needs are really a bridge for a relationship. You know, we want to do more than just repair things. You know, people in, in these kind of experiences have trauma, and they... Um, uh, they need relationships. They need to know they're not alone. They need to know they're not forgotten. And so um, I just think that was a profound impact that that had. Um, and then there's another story, and I know that was a little bit too long. but um, No, that's exactly what I'm looking for, because so often we can get stuck at this 30,000-foot view of the, the whole big picture. But I think it's really important to drill down to this this very individualized impact that you make, because yeah, from, from the 30,000-foot the view, you don't see these individual things, and it's really what the fabric is made of, each and every one of these individual experiences. Well, this, um, this other experience, my, uh, my wife's cousin came with her church from Venice, Florida, and they were, they were building a shed. Uh, at, at this point, we were building sheds to help people. Um, they were eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight sheds. We got these shed kits from Home Depot, and we would give them to people, but we would have the groups that would come to serve build them in their backyard. So if they had damage to their home and they were able to salvage some items, you couldn't, you couldn't rent a pod or anything like that. So these sheds actually stored maybe what was left of the contents of their home. So this group from Venice, Florida was building a shed in the backyard um, for this family. And um, my, my wife's cousin shared this with me. Um, at lunch, the the groups that will go to these families, they'll, they'll bring their lunch, and they'll bring a lunch for the family so that they can sit and eat with them. And uh, they offered a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to, uh, to the husband, to the father. And he had been a little standoffish at first, 
And I think what I've discovered since then is that, you know, it's very difficult to receive. You know, we have a lot of pride, you know, sometimes we're not even aware of the degree of it. You know, we can, we can give assistance and that's an easy thing, but it's so hard sometimes to receive. And so for this man, you know, he, he probably, he couldn't do anything. You know, he was, he was helpless and no one wants to feel that way, especially a man. Um, and so when they offered him this peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he broke down in tears. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the most impactful stories that I've heard. He was reduced to tears in gratitude for people being there, but it took a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right. <clears throat> I guess that's that people being there for you is, you know, the work you're doing here in West Virginia is not, you know, there's not, there's not been a horrific event that took these people's homes out, but it's that people being there. I guess that's the parallel. Right, and the uh, the fellow that you and I worked with, Jean Larue, uh-huh. he uh, he's often said, um, you know, in these kind of contexts of of poverty, he said the uh, the winds of poverty have blown on shore um, for decades, and so you have generational poverty. Um, it's no different. So, in, in do you know who Jim Cantor is? So he's on the Weather Channel. He's the guy that shows up when things are going to get really bad in a community. And they even have a commercial, it's a, it's a hilarious commercial, that Jim Cantori shows up on a beach and he brings his chair out and everybody recognizes him and they run because they know <laughs> something bad is going to happen. He predicts it. And so, um, you know, I've said, you know, Jim Cantori, you'll never see Jim Cantori broadcasting from a widow's um, kitchen who has plumbing issues. But that's a need nonetheless. It is, it is as important and sig- as significant as any hurricane that may come ashore because she has a real need. And some people try to minimize their needs and say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not as bad as this. Well, it is. It is bad because for you, that's, that's everything. Right, at that myopic it level, is. right? It Absolutely. Is. So, uh, so that's a, with, with this context, um, most of our sh- short-term works are in rural and urban communities um, where we say they're under-resourced. Um, and just need a little assistance. So, so this, this camp we're in right now, this is in Shinston technically, right? That's right. Um, and how far out do you go as far as, you know, the radius for work to be done here? I believe that this week there is work in Morgantown. Now, I was corrected when I said earlier somewhat, I said I'm Morganton. They said, no, it's not Morgan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Morgantown. Morgantown, yeah. yeah. Morgantown. Yeah. So it's, that's, what, 25 minutes away? Yeah, roughly that. Yeah. 30 right. minutes, yeah. Okay. And so you guys go out in the community. Right now you have a crew of people out currently working right now in the, in the community. How are the people that are receiving this work finding, about, finding out the, that the resource exists and how do right. they get in touch with that? So there's a, there's a network of churches and um, I think that's how, that's how they typically do this. Um, they have um, websites. Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now. But it's for uh, groups that are nonprofits, and they're connected like across the country where there's specific needs. And then there will be groups that will say, identify, well, we'd like to do this. But where they um, where they get that from is in a community center, or um, you know they have social workers in in most communities. And now that they have this um, this technology, they can upload that information, or it comes by word of mouth. Now this group has been doing this since 1993, so they've been in the community for a long time, and there are um, I'll call repeat offenders. There's a lot of folks that 
you know, have received assistance before. And I say that in a positive sense, right. not in a bad right. sense at all. Um, it's wonderful to have that relationship. And uh, if they have a need, they have a need, and we want to help as much as we can. But could people contact their local Presbyterian churches? Would, would most of the Presbyterian churches in the area know of this resource being available? Or Well, there is a church that's associated with with this day spring camp. Uh-huh. And, um, Specifically this camp, yeah. They do, and the pastor's name is David Eads. Um, and so he's kind of been a, um, a point person for this. And he's out about in the community. He's, you know, he's got his ear to everything. And um, there are networks of nonprofits in this community, and um, they're able to identify those needs. Great. Yeah, excellent. So what is, what is your role? You know, if, if there's 25 different sites across the country, how many of those are you going to visit? Well, I try to visit all of them. I can't do them all in one year. Um, that's a lot of travel, but um, but I try to over about a over two year period to to hit at least every one, and to try to be present. Um, some of them don't have a budget for uh, for promotion, so what I do is I'll uh, I'll take still photos and I'll take video and I'll put together a promotional video for them, and um, and then we'll upload that to our website. I have a web, we have a website um, mnashortterm.org and we. Uh, we post those websites up there. I've just started a podcast, of which I love what you guys are doing, and um, I hope we have a little bit of time to talk about that. Um, I found that it's difficult to explain what happens here unless you participated in it. My parents still don't understand what I do. <laughs> and um, I, um, you know, I, I know stories are very, very helpful in communicating. So by interviewing people that have been assisted and people that are actually doing the work, you know, film and video, the story's told visually. That's where um, the power is. There's great yeah. power there. Yeah. But, um, but when you have audio, like what you have here, you know, your words are very, very important and, um, and make a big impact. No, they truly do. And it's, it's interesting, too, sometimes, you know, I can remember being at Lanyap, and there'd be certain people who, who would uh, be able to, to give, you know, monetary sense but not do the work. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was young. What was I, 18? Something maybe. Maybe I was 20. I don't remember. Oh, you lied on your application. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, that might have. Um, and, uh, you know, you think lesser of the people who are just giving the couple of dollars. You're like, well, you know, we're actually here working. But it takes both parts of it and equal, right. equal um, sides to be able to make something like this work. Um, so is anything ever required of the, you know, the people who are getting the work, you know, similar to like Lanyap? Some of those, I think, had to apply for, like, a loan. Right. So we'll, and that was if they were getting a whole house built, I think. But So it, it cost at the time in, um, what was it, 2006 to 2011, it was around $45,000 to build um, an entire house. Now, we used, we used the design from Habitat for Humanity. It wasn't just a block. It was really aesthetically pleasing, kind of what they call the Acadian style, French... Uh, Canadian style architecture that fit the community. Um, so we, um, and I just lost my train of thought. This isn't live, is it? Nope. <laughs> right. Go ahead and get it back. We'll, we'll, Where was I? Where was I? Uh, so the, the style of the home that was being built. What was your question? Uh, my question was, is anything typically required? Because, you know, I think oh, yeah, yeah. when Good the homes are being so, built there. They... So, so I go down too many rabbit trails. So $45,000, it was, uh, we built the homes on uh, people's property where their homes had been completely destroyed. And um, that was about an 1,100-square-foot home. And 
we, um, we were giving homes away for free for, for, for quite a while from the money that we had, um, we had raised. And then we realized, well, if we want to help more people, what we did was we worked with a local bank and uh, we just put a lien on the house after so many years, I think it was five years or so, that they couldn't turn around and flip it because a 45, you know, the cost of $45,000, that house was probably worth 125. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, that was a qualification that we had that you, you, know, you couldn't turn around and flip it. And um, the, the cost was minimal um, for the homeowner. It's amazing. So what other communities are you in nearby? Do you mean you all the way in the West Coast? So um, I was here about four weeks ago, and I try to, um, because Orlando, where I live, is so far away, I try to travel and, and, and make this, uh, extend my trip um, in this particular region. So I was in South Carolina, then came up here to Fairmont, and then from here I went up to uh, Atlantic City. So along the eastern seaboard, um, we have at least, uh, well, I think we have about half a dozen different ministries, churches that are doing this work. And then we have as far as Washington State uh, with the Yakima Indian Reservation. Uh, it was two spring breaks ago that I, I visited there, and um, I would love to go back. The weather is fantastic. And I'll tell you what they do, what they do there, and I'll, I'll tell you the impact that they make. Um, of all the 25 different churches, ministries that, that we have, where we host groups that help the community, I think the, uh, the group is called Sacred Road they seem to do the best at connecting with folks in the community, specifically with the youth. Um, and I think some of it has to do with the fact that there really aren't any amenities there. So if it, we've got something in St. Louis, we've got something you know, here in Fairmont, and you've got natural beauty, you've got great things to do here, um, a lot of things for your attention. On that Indian reservation, there's really nothing else. And there's a, there's a lot of um, alcohol abuse, um, there's a lot of sexual abuse. Um, they were doing an orientation, and one of the older Indian women um, corrected the person leading the orientation when he said there's probably maybe up to 40 to 50 percent um, sexual abuse among children. She said, well, among the women and the girls, it's at least 70. It's exceedingly high. And we were, we were um, engaged in play with, uh, these were college students that had come to serve. Um, and they were engaged in activities, just loving on these kids at this um, project community, the Indian Reservation. And I noticed that there were so many dogs that were limping. And I asked an older Indian gentleman, I said, what's up with the dogs? And he said, well, he said, these, um, these guys think they're big and tough, and they start drinking, and they get bats, and they start beating the dogs. And um, so it's a community with a great deal of neglect and abuse. And so for folks to come in there and love on these kids, it has made a huge impact. Um, oh, I don't know how it couldn't, yeah. you know, to, to have that type of, um, to be in that environment and then to see the, the, the absolute antithesis of such a violent and, um, and degrading lifestyle. So that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and even as I describe it, um, you know, move to tears, but because yeah. I need to talk, I'm trying yeah. to push him back. And as um, Zach, if you remember what we used to say um, in Bay St. Louis, we, we would laugh and cry and we wouldn't know when it was going to happen. And we would say we were, we were Bay Polar. Um, yeah, I remember that saying, yep. And I remember the first time I realized, um, you know, just the, the trauma that the people per, are, are, are embodying 
um, as we call it, say, relief workers, um, in this all the time, we, uh, I know we had little pieces of PTSD inside of us, and uh, I love Jimmy Buffett, but Jimmy Buffett doesn't sing love ballads that make you cry, but I was listening to Margaritaville, and I started tearing up, and I realized something's not right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you remember that last day, well, my last day, that I was supposed to go home, um, somebody said that he was coming to town, and he filmed that music video right there That's at the right. Fire Dog Saloon. So we all got to meet him, got to watch him make a music video. That was a good way to end my trip, at least. Yeah, and I was out of town. Um, my wife knows how much I love Jimmy Buffett, and she said, Kurt, we, um, we, we can go back if you want. Now, now, I'll tell you, so she had just been diagnosed with cancer, and so it actually wound up not being cancer. But um, I'm the type of person where, you know what, I love my wife. And I also love Jimmy Buffett. What do I do here? Do we go? Do we go see Buffett? No, no, honey. I love you. We're, we'll stay where we are. And yeah, it was quite an event, though. So don't get any idea that um, everyone that does this kind of work, especially me, is um, is like some superstar. We're just everyone that does this is just normal people, broken people. Um, we're just in need of God's love as well. Well, man, it's a really neat point, man. You're just regular people, and so. Everybody has the capacity to make an impact in some way, and um, I think you're proving that. I, I think, and, and not to dampen the mood, and I love the, love the story, but I, I think it is important because so many times we all have it so good, we choose to turn a blind eye to many people's suffering because if we recognize it, we're forced to deal with it in some way. And for you folks that are out there meeting it head on and taking on this, you mentioned PTSD. You can't experience the, the pain that these people are suffering without having it impact you in some way. Right. And so it's, it's absolutely incredible. But it's, it's a story that needs to be told and people need to listen every once in a while so that they can maintain engagement and they can help move that ball forward they get moved to the point of um, participating in some way and have you seen that over your time have you seen that kind of uh, that type of gravity start to pull more people into the organizations yes we we have and and you know we hope that that would be the case that um, and it's almost like this it's a biblical principle that when you have received it's to the degree that you are loved um, you can love back. Um, and, you know, it's just the antithesis of that. But folks that are, that are filled up um, then also want to, uh, want to serve. And, like, we've got one woman here who um, she grew up in the foster system. Um, and she talks about that. You know, that's, that wasn't the best thing for her. But you know what she does? She, she fosters children. Mm -hmm. um, she received love and she pours out love and um and i've seen that happen over and over again and i i do believe um, that's what we're called to do as as christians or just as human beings that um to recognize the need in another and not to um to live just for ourselves because living for someone else um actually does make us more whole it's it really it's the does. opposite of what it we really think does. yeah it really does so when these folks come back, they're overjoyed that they, they have made an impact in someone's life. And then so many times, again, like to answer your question directly, we've seen those folks who have received assistance um, also go on to serve. Yep. And there's little things that you can do. You don't have to build a, um, build a wheelchair ramp. Um, I was in the hospital. I'm away, I'm away up here. I've, 
a friend of mine, his wife um, was diagnosed with cancer, wound up being benign and it was great, but it was in, she was at UV, UVA in Charlottesville, Virginia. And um, I always make it a point to say hello to everyone, especially folks in the service industry that might not have the position that people think is one of these, one of great notoriety. I try to say hello to the, to the janitors, to the folks that are cleaning. You know, when I was there, I spoke to this, this lady um, who was mopping up, and I said hello, and she was startled because probably people don't say hello to her. You know, unfortunately, people would think that's a position that's beneath them, and you don't talk to those people. You, you show respect to a doctor, but maybe not to a custodian. Yeah. Um, and so kind words mean something. You know, she may have been like an invisible person, but she became visible through a kind word. And um, like I said, you don't have to build a wheelchair ramp or repair a roof, but you can, uh, you can participate in acts of kindness. 100% right, man. So many people feel forgotten out there because in many ways they can be forgotten out there. And, and you're right, by looking and identifying those people and just, just a kind word, it's so easy actually to, to help elevate the, the mood and the, and, and, and your community. Right. By doing these little things. But I, I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, growing up in Orlando, I was involved in the hotel and tourism industry. I was in management. Um, I worked for one of the water parks. Um, and then I went to work for Hyatt Hotels. I was with uh, was a manager at the Hyatt Grand Cypress out by Disney. And um, oh my gosh, I had like 30 or 40 employees working for me. And I would also take in um, interns that would work with me uh, from the University of Florida, which wasn't too far away. And um, they would spend a semester working. I was overseeing the, uh, I was a director of recreation and we had um, seven, what is it? Uh, pitch and pot um, golf course. We had boats, we had a lake, we had uh, pools, uh, massage, all the stuff. And um, so we had these, these interns that would stay for a semester. Well, this one intern, um, I'm not, I, I want to say her name, but I, I'm not going to say it, right? Probably shouldn't do that. But she, had, she was a cheerleader for the University of Florida football team. Um, blonde, I'll just say her name was Heidi. So you could kind of imagine a blonde <laughs> Heidi, right? And so beautiful, beautiful. Well, the back hallways of the Hyatt um, is where you walk to get to the different departments. And um, thinking, again, along the lines of people saying hello, well, she got hit on all the time. And so what she would do was she would get a brownie um, from the cafeteria and she would put it on her front two teeth like they were blacked out. <laughs> and so when these guys were hitting on her, she's walking down the hallway. You know, they're saying hello to her not to be altruistic, yeah. Yeah. but um, she smiles and she looks like she's missing her front two teeth. Oh, that's I, good. That's you hilarious. can take that out, but I just thought that was funny. No, we'll leave it funny. in. Absolutely. That's <laughs> well, as we get ready to wrap up here, anything, anything else you want to add? Well, I would, you know, I, I would ask just to wrap up a little bit for me, just so, because I'm a little bit slow sometimes, how this whole thing works. So you have this camp here and you have various outbuildings. As I kind of look out the here, so several dormitory type uh, things. So people just kind of show up. Do they coalesce from a certain area and kind of uh, just travel in or do they just randomly show up? Or is there a call out there? Is there a right. calendar? We need this. How does this, give me just the, the real quick version of how this actually gets facilitated. Right, so there's, a, there's a, an orientation that these leaders will come to before they actually bring their groups. So they're oriented, they're not blind when they, when they come in, if they've not been here, and they get the lay of the land, um, they get the schedule, 
And then when the teams arrive, there, there actually is a, a schedule and a format. They arrive on Saturday afternoon. They have an orientation. Um, and then on a Sunday, um, they'll have some other parts of their orientation. Then they'll go out in the community and they will meet the families that they'll be helping. They'll actually go to the homes, that will say the work sites, um, so that they have an idea of what they're going to be doing um, throughout the week. And how long are they here for a so week? They're here for a week. They're here for a week, so and then they go back. they'll arrive home. Saturday evening, and then they'll go back Saturday morning. And then another crew comes in in short order? So they, they run these throughout the summer, and sometimes back-to-back. But it has been this summer, I think they've had six or seven weeks um, where they've hosted teams. Excellent. And like you pointed out, their cabins, I, I don't recall how, uh, how many folks can sleep in each one, but they're set up in each, what are there, maybe uh, eight or ten cabins. Well, you said and, you had roughly 200 people at yeah. one of the last events. That's so. right. And then on the left side for men, right side for women, you know, separating the girls and the guys. And, um, and then they have this where we are right now inside the uh, dining hall um, or the kitchen, and the groups will come through and get their food. And then there's a tent outside, big giant circ- kind of circus tent, I suppose you'd call that. Um, and then they sit under there, and then that's where they have their meals every day. And then they share uh, responsibilities for cleanup. Mm-hmm. So it'll be on a rotation, cleaning bathrooms or wiping the tables or you know, cleaning the kitchen, things like that. Well, it's a great way to get in there and serve and help serve others, um, which we know what a benefit it is to us personally when we do. It's almost a little bit, um, it, it's so good for you and it feels so good to get out there and do that, that it, it's almost selfish, right, to get out there and do that. There's such a reward for it. Um, it's incredible. Well, I've, I've often said about this, um, I'd rather do this than work. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. Well, we're glad you're out there doing it. Thank and, you. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Great to meet you and great to see you again, Zach. Absolutely. Thanks for taking time with us today. Thanks, man. All right.